Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. God so, so, I hear him say that added, that word in the scripture. He said, so loved the world. God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. He thinks you're to die for. I can't help but think of the woman in the Song of Solomon. She says, I must, the king began to pursue the Shulamite. The Shulamite girl in chapter 1 of the Song of Solomon. And she says, she says to the king, and she says to herself, I'm as black as the curtains of Kedar. The sun has looked upon me. And my mother's children are angry with me. She sees herself as black as the curtains of Kedar. Kedar was the second son of Ishmael. And what she's seeing, what she's really saying here is, the sun has looked upon me. In other words, I'm not palace material. I'm a working girl. I work in the fields and my skin has been, has been burnt by the sun. I'm not qualified for the palace. I see myself in Adam. I see myself as unworthy. And that's why I don't come to the table because I, every time I do, I feel like I'm coming unworthily. And if I, I, if I get close enough, maybe God will kill me. I'm telling you something, man. That's an old covenant paradigm. He stands with his arms out open saying, the spirit and the bride say come. And Jesus, or the king, of, the king in the Song of Solomon comes to this little girl who thinks she's not palace material. The sun has browned her skin. She don't think she's got the alabaster look of what it takes to live in the palace. And the king says this to her, and this opened the Song of Solomon to me. The king looks at this little girl and he says, Thou art all fair, my love, my dove. There is no spot in thee. And I said, Lord, when the Lord spoke that to me, he spoke that to me personally. I said, Lord, I don't believe that. I don't believe there's no spots in me. I know my life. And the Lord said, I know you don't believe it, son. That's why you're acting like you've got spots. But in the next chapter in the Song of Solomon, he said, let me take you to the mountain of Bether. Let me take you to the hill of frankincense. Let me show you where I got rid of your spots and your wrinkles and your blemishes. The mountain of Bether and the hill of frankincense is the place of suffering. It speaks of the place of the cross. Jesus said, let me take you to Calvary's hill. Let me show you where I purged you of every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish, or any such thing. It's Sunday morning. I'm going to be a little controversial here so you can eat this grapes or spit out the seeds and maybe pass this along a little later on. But, I, you know, we, we, we have made statements like this. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Except that's not in the Word. Well, you got quiet. We've quoted it so much, we think it's in there. It's not in the Scripture. Jesus is not coming back for church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Ephesians 5 said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. That's not something he's going to do. That's something he's already done. Thank you. Go ahead. You ought to clap about that. Listen, you say, if you get this, you'll start living like you don't have spots. 
you'll start living like you're qualified. Some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room and you don't know that. You don't know how qualified you are because, see, the only weapon your adversary has is the weapon of condemnation and guilt. And if he can keep you from the very thing that will help you and drive you from the house of God, drive you from the presence of God, that's what you see. The moment Adam ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he got the knowledge of good and evil, fed from the wrong tree. To me, it speaks of a picture of the law. The moment he got the information about good and evil, he ran from God. And this was his response. I need to run from God because I'm naked. I'm ashamed. And I need to hide. But guess what God does? God chases him. Because God is a stalker. He'll sit on your porch and say, are you done yet? He's like Forrest Gump. He'll take you back when all you got is one dying breath. Because stupid is what stupid does. But if you just hold still and let him love on you, you could have an abundant life your whole life. See, the gospel should never take your life. It'll give you back your life. I believe the real gospel will give you the abundant life, not just when you get to heaven somewhere, after you've lived in 70, 80 years of misery here, and then some glad morning. I used to come to church on Sunday, and man, here's the first song. Won't it be wonderful then? Selection number two. A few more weary days, and then... Selection number three, one more valley, one more hill. It'll all be over after a while. By the time they got into the fourth song, I'm depressed. <laughs> if I wasn't depressed when I got there, I'm depressed when I got there. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to get there as far as I was this morning. But, uh, hallelujah. But we've made it all about, you know, this life and Jesus is a stroke. Let me tell you, if you get the real gospel, you have the time of your life, and God will high-five you when you stand before him and say, I had a hoot living in your body. Deuteronomy said he wants to give you the days of heaven on earth. I was in a meeting one time with Turnell Nelson, who was uh, uh, Miles Monroe's spiritual father, and we first time we ever preached together. And they sang a few songs like that. And both people was in this tear-jerking mood, and they was crying and whining. And, and, and Turnell gets up, he's just, Jeremy Apostle Nelson, with a gruff voice, man. This guy preached so much, his voice was gruff. And he takes the podium, he stands up, he says, How many of you want to go to heaven this morning? Lift your hands. And people lifted their hands. He said, Lord, kill them all. Kill them now in Jesus' name. Every hand in the place came down. They all wanted to go to heaven. They just didn't want to go tonight. Because even if you don't understand what I'm preaching, there's something God deposited in you that knows that God wants to give you the abundant life. This gospel is not about a bunch of rules you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. It's not about fear. It's about faith. It's not about a law. It's about love. It's about God moving you. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, with it, it, I'm happy. First of all, and if nobody don't believe a minute of this, I'm happy and I'm just not going back. I'm just, I've been eating from the table of lamb, hallelujah, and I've eaten it in my night season, my day season. I've eaten lamb and it's given me a quality of life that's causing me to enjoy this journey. And it's not one more valley, one more hill. It's not a few more weary days. It's God saying today, I want to bless you with abundance. I want to bless you with joy. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I purged you of every spot of a wrinkle. Let me come back and get this. Ephesians 5 said he presented us to himself. To himself. He don't care what the world thinks about you. 
What he thinks about you is you're without spot, you're without wrinkle, you're without blemish. Here's the problem, see, in the American church. We, we preach to the bride of Christ, what's wrong with her? That's like being, listen, that's like going out on Valentine's Day with your bride and looking across the table and saying, boy, does your breast stink. Is that a pimple you have? Oh, y'all don't want to help me preach here this morning. Boy, your hair don't look good. That dress makes you look fat. How many know you ain't going to have a good Valentine's Day? But see, that's how we've done the bride of Christ and wonder why she don't want to get intimate with him. It's because we tell her how bad she is, how much her breast stinks, all the pimples, the wrinkles, the blemishes. But he comes and says, thou art all fair, my love, my dove. He starts to woo you till you become what I call a believer, and then you'll act like a believer. Somebody say, I'm going to just say this to you. This is blunt, but I'm going to say, see, you're not going to get married to him some glad morning. You're already married to him. If you're not married to him now, it's illegal to use his name. Number two, it's illegal to be intimate with him. But the new covenant is your marriage certificate. He already purged you at the cross. Uh, he already got rid of every spot. Uh, the spear of a Roman soldier opened the side of Jesus. Blood and water spilled from his side, and it fell on a woman. Come on, somebody. And purged that woman of every spot, every wrinkle, and every blemish. I believe on the cross when Jesus is hanging on Calvary's tree, he looks down and he sees his mother standing at the foot of the cross. And if there's anything that would have been the greatest temptation to bring him off the cross, it would be your mother standing at the foot of your cross believing that her baby is about to die. This is all her hope in front of her. And Jesus sees his mother. And if there's anything that would pull on the heartstrings to make him come down off the cross, it would be his mother weeping. Instead, he looks down at his mother. He does not use a term of endearment to address her. He uses a prophetic term. He looks at her. He says, woman, woman, behold your son. What he's trying to do is give his mother some comfort in his dying moments and shock her into remembering an ancient prophecy. Instead, the seed of a woman is going to bruise the head of a serpent. And what he said is, Mama, you're the, you're the woman, and I'm the seed. Just stay with me, Mom. Woman, behold your son. He looks over at John and says, Son, behold your mother. He puts his mother into the care of John, who's the only one who follows him to the cross. Then he rears back and says, Elo, Elo. Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You say, what's going on, Brother House? He's forsaking his father and his mother, and he's cleaving to his bride. And he's doing it in a garden where Adam lost it. The first Adam did it out of rebellion. Come on. But the second Adam went back into a garden and out of obedience, he restored his bride. Come on, somebody. And blood and water spilled out of the side of Jesus like it did in Eden's misty garden when God opened the side of the man and brought a rib to him. He brought a woman to him. I mean, on Calvary's tree, the blood and water that spilled from Jesus' side was enough to purge every spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. You got married a long time ago. It's time to start acting like a wife. Come on. The gifts of the Spirit were your wedding gift. Come on, somebody. You're the bride. You're the bride right now. Let me come back here before I chase all these rabbits. 
but we're still on the same trail, we're in the right spot. He looks across, he said, then disciples look one on another, doubting of whom he spake. But now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of him that he spake. And he then lying on Jesus' breast says to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him and then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. No man, now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because G Judas had the bag, that Jesus said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, you yet a little while, and I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new commandment. Watch this. A new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another but this shall all men by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one to another and so Simon Peter said unto him Lord whither thou goest Jesus answered whither I go thou canst not follow me now but thou shalt follow me afterwards Peter said to him Lord why can I not follow thee now I will lay down my life for your sake and Jesus answered him wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake Verily I say to you that the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now let me stop a minute before I pick up the next verse because the chapters are not broken. But I want you to see something here. He's at the table and he is giving exactly the sop that 1 Corinthians 10 or 11 that I just read. The same night in which he was betrayed. He this is the event that he was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The same night in which he was betrayed. He took the bread and he blessed it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. See, I'm convinced that even if Judas had realized that the death that the, the death of Jesus was enough for him also, he would have never went and hanged himself. See, I, I believe if, if Judas would have, you see, when Judas comes back into the, the temple and he throws the 30 pieces of silver back on the table and said, I betrayed innocent blood, the Bible said that he went out and hanged himself. When if he would have waited three hours the hanging of Jesus would have been his hanging. How many know that so many times we've been taught in the church to go hang yourself, go kill yourself, go get rid of, you know. If you could have gotten rid of who you were and out of you, you'd have done it a long time ago. What he wants you to do is come back and realize there is a spirit that betrays. Matter of fact, it calls it the son of perdition. There's a spirit that betrays us when you think you've got to earn your own salvation by your hanging. The hanging of Jesus was enough. That's good stuff. That's worth clapping about. And then Pete looks across the table. He says, Lord, man, I, I got your back, man. I, I told you the other night about my friend who is, uh, came from an Italian background. He's probably one of the most loyal friends I have. But because he was in the, in the mob, you know, they kind of learned loyalty a different way. But I'll never forget one night him and I were in Pontiac, Michigan. And, and we were at this restaurant. And they had these uh, bowls that were made from like bread, and it had clam chowder in it. It's making my mouth water now, you know. And the pastor had left us, and it's just him and I sat at the table. When I looked across the table at him, and he just him and I at the table. I said, "One of you is going to betray me." And he took his bread, dipped it in my bowl. He said, "Is it I, Master?" 
<laughs> Hallelujah. Always, I always brace myself when somebody says I got you back, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. But in the reality of it is, is that Pete looks across the table, he says, Lord, I'll die with you. And Jesus looks at him, and I think Jesus knew at that moment, Pete means what he says. How I many know you and I can think we got what it takes? But there are moments when we fail. Am I talking to anybody in the room? See, I, I think I am because from the pulpit to the, to, to the door, how I many know we have had a whole lot of human failure in our lives? And if our, our, the basis upon which we receive is based on how good I am and not based on examining the lamb, then I am disqualified. And I got to the place growing up in classical Pentecost where they told me how bad I was all the time. Too. I got to the place where I said, I love God, but he evidently don't love me. And I'm going to go to hell in a handbasket. If I'm going to go to hell in a handbasket, at least I'm going to enjoy the ride. Now, I mean, there's a lot of people who think like that right now. And the reality of it is, they don't just go to hell, they create hell and they live in it because they, the choices they make, come on, have... Come on, have released for them not the days of heaven on earth, but hell on earth. But see, you can for one moment turn and say, I'm going to turn from this, and I'm going to turn towards the Lord. Because see, even when Adam ran from God in the garden, he said, God, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, and I need to hide, and I love this. God catches him. And God said to him, who told you? You was naked. I could hear God say, you was naked day before yesterday. It didn't bother me then. But now it's bothering you. Why? Because your adversary is telling you that you need to run from God rather than run to him. All I'm trying to do is slow up, tell you, slow up and let him catch you. Come on, God is pursuing you. He relentlessly pursues us every moment because he wants to love us. It's like our children, man. He, God is interested. We think about what we lost in the garden, but we never think about what God lost. God is looking for a relationship. And Jesus says to Pete, he said, listen, man, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. But look what it says in the next chapter. I want you to understand that chapters and verses was added by the translator. So there's really no break in this story. Jesus is saying to Pete in the last verse, I know you mean well, son. I know you think you can do this. But before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me three times. Next verse, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he begins to say to Pete, see, this is the whole context. You're going to fail. You're going to blow it big time because, number one, you still haven't received the indwelling Holy Spirit. So in your human strength, you can't do this. But the next chapter, he starts talking about the comforter's going to come and take up his abode within you. And you're going to be able to come where I'm at ultimately, but you can't come now because you don't have anything inside of you except your own tenacity and your own self-help and your own willpower. But son, as much as you've got, you're going to need something better and bigger than your own abilities. You're going to need the Holy Ghost living inside of you to walk this out. Amen. You're going to need the power. See, that's why I believe in preaching the power of the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost and power to come upon you and empower you. And you know what, Pete, who denies Jesus here is just 50 days later, stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches with such boldness that 3,000 people get added to the church. But I can see Pete. He's at the fire and they said, uh, you're one of his. And he's like, I am not. And he starts cussing. 
I don't know. It could have been the, the, the you know, he, 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 he stands up for Jesus at the garden. I mean, when, the, when the, the, the servant of the high priest Malchus comes, Peter rips his sword out, man, and cuts the ear off of this dude. Can you imagine this? I mean, he's ready to go. He's ready to, let's rumble. Let's get it on here. And he, cut, he cuts the ear off of a, the servant of Malchus, the high priest. See, I think sometimes well-meaning apostles have cut the ears off of God's people. Let, let, let that answer. I said, I think sometimes well-meaning apostles have cut the ear off of God's people. But Jesus stoops down and grabs this guy's ear and knocks the dust off of it and puts it back on. You know what I hear the Spirit saying? He that hath that ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Because under the old covenant, you have a sword. In the new covenant, you have a plow. Come on. Under the old covenant, you have a spear. In the new covenant, you have a pruning hook. Come on. We need to beat our swords and weapons into plowshare. The victory's already been won. The war's over. Somebody help me preach a little bit. Jesus has won the victory. Hallelujah. And he wants to disconnect your ear from the realm of dust and reconnect it. I always wonder about stories like this. I have to wonder if this guy had the guts to arrest Jesus after that. Can you imagine him healing your ear and then the guy... I have to go. I gotta arrest you, man. I don't. Could you have done that? Yeah, I don't know if I could have arrested Jesus after he put my ear back on. I don't wonder what he told his wife when he went home that night. You know, I was arrested. This dude, one of his boys, cut my ear off. He grabbed it, put it back on. I wonder what happened to Barabbas. You know, there's no story. I wonder what the story is. I maybe the story's not there because it's your story. Maybe the story's not there because you got arrested. What are you going to do when Jesus takes the the guilty? goes free while the innocent is sacrificed. I wonder what Barabbas did with his life after that. I wonder if he kept on the same lifestyle that got him in prison before. I'd like to think that Jesus releasing him into freedom would have turned his life around. Let me, let me, let me, let me, but, but here's Peter. He's denied Jesus and the third time he denies the Lord, the rooster crows and Jesus probably had just walked out and caught his eye and Peter drops his head in such condemnation and guilt. And the rooster crows. Now what we usually do is we preach that the rooster crows to wrap Peter out. Say, see there, I told you so. What a failure you are. But see, if you've ever lived on a farm, we used to have a big old red rooster that was about this tall. That thing was mean. We finally cooked him for chicken and dumplings. Had to cook him almost all day. He was so tough, he was mean. But that dude would get by my window at the first sight of dawn. And that dude would start to crow and holler until I'm ready to shoot out the window at that dude and kill him. Because he, he was like an alarm clock. You say, why are you telling us this, Dr. House? Because what the rooster did was he wasn't ratting Peter out. He was announcing a new day. When the rooster crows, I want you to hear the rooster crow this morning. Because it's not announcing your faults, your failures. It's announcing a new day. Come on, somebody. He's announcing yesterday you couldn't do it because you didn't have the Holy Ghost. But let not your heart be troubled. It's a brand new day and the rooster is crowing. I want you to think on Easter Sunday morning. When you come into this house, he has arisen from the dead. My sin has been forgiven. It's a brand new day. What I could not do on my own. He did it for me. Hallelujah. Now he lives inside of me. He's a present help in the time of trouble. It is expedient for you that I go. If I don't go, the comforter won't come. But I'll send you another helper. Last but not least, let me just tell this story. And I'm going to get out your road here this morning. There's a story. I'm going to turn to it in the book of Samuel of a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the... 
uh, he was the son of Jonathan, the great grandson, or the grandson, I believe it was, of Saul. And when Saul was killed, Mephibosheth was dropped by a midwife and became crippled in his feet. Is there anybody in this room that's been dropped by somebody? And it might have crippled you a little bit. Come on, religion dropped me, crippled me. Come on, somebody. Midwives that were in charge of making me grow up and take care of me literally dropped me to the point where I became crippled in my feet. And can I tell you, I could not walk this thing out. Come on, somebody. I was crippled in my feet, and I could not walk. And I was in the wrong lineage. And, and, and Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lodibar, which means scattering shame. He was ashamed of his family, and he was the last surviving uh, descendant of Jonathan. And one day, King David, who's a picture of the greater son of David, King Jesus, was sitting in his palace. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. And he said to his staff, is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I may do good unto him? And one of his staff came to him and said, there's a little cripple boy down in Lodabar by the name of Mephibosheth. And he's the last surviving relative of Jonathan. But you see, he was down in Lodibar hoping that nobody would ever remember he's alive because every king that had ever existed before would kill every one of the dynasty that preceded them so that there would never be an insurrection and nobody would ever try to usurp the throne. So he's down there in Lodibar hoping nobody will ever remember where I'm at. I am hiding out. I'm just going to keep my cool and stay away from the... You hear where I'm coming from? But one day the thump of horses' hooves come. And the dust of the chariots from King David show up on his front porch. And the officer says to Mephibosheth, the king has requested your presence in the throne room today. My, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. You know why? Because the Holy Ghost sent me here to tell somebody, the king has requested your presence in the throne room. The king has requested an audience with you, a personal audience with you this morning. Mephibosheth probably thought, oh, this is the big one, Myrtle. This is the day I dreaded. I, you know, he probably told the guy driving, don't drive fast. Don't break the speed limit. I am not in a hurry. He walks into the palace of the king thinking he's doomed and he's done because he probably sat under the same legalistic preachers I did who told me that if I ever got in the presence of the king, he would kill me. I was disqualified if I ate and drank unworthily. I was doomed. I was done for it. I went too far. God could never do anything for me. And when he walks into the presence of King David, King David looks at him and says, well, he first he walks into the presence of King David and he falls down in front of the king and he says, what am I? What am I but a dead dog in the presence of the king? And David grabs him by the hand and says, son, I didn't bring you here to kill you. I brought you here to give you back all your father's inheritance. I came here to do good to you. Because what you don't know, son, is I've got a covenant with your daddy. That's right. King David is a covenant-keeping God. Remembers his covenant. He honors his word above his name. And King David said, I made a covenant with your daddy that my seed and his seed, and I didn't bring you here to die or to kill you. I brought you here to give you...
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.